Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of May 6, 2018. The 144th Kentucky Derby is now history, and it sure was a wet one. The sun did not shine bright on our old Kentucky home. In fact, over three inches of rain fell yesterday on Churchill Downs. Thirty-six people attended the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Derby Party. We started the day off with those delicious Bussman's Donuts and then feasted on fried chicken, Little Smokies, barbecued meatballs, potato salad, slaw, tossed salad, deviled eggs, chips, brownies, oatmeal scotchies, and, of course, derby pie. We played bingo and our own horse race games, visited with friends, and topped off the day with Derby Jackpot winners. Thanks to Patty Cox for handling the shopping and food preparation, and to Patty, Samantha Hubbard, Aaliyah Dunn, Sister Agnes Coveney, and Debbie Dethridge for helping with serving and cleanup. For the past year, there have been many discussions about the merger of the Office for the Blind and the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation in Kentucky. Public hearings are now scheduled in late May and early June about the merger. We talk with Cora McNabb, Acting Director of the Office for the Blind, on page 2. Cora reviews the proposed structure of the new combined agency for us and explains how the merger will affect Kentuckians who are blind and visually impaired. This is an extremely important issue, so please listen carefully and plan to attend the public hearing near you. We bring you two articles that we think you will find interesting on page 3. The first is about a recent episode of NCIS, which included a visually impaired actress as one of the main characters. In the second article, we hear about Kansas City, Missouri's test of the use of Uber and Lyft to provide paratransit services. It appears that the test was far more successful than expected, a situation that has posed a whole set of new problems for Kansas City. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. On the phone with me is Cora McNabb. She is the acting director of the Kentucky Office for the Blind. And she's with us today to talk about the merger of the Office for the Blind and the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, the uh, organization of that agency, what the proposal currently is, and to give us some information on public hearings that are coming up. This is a very important issue, and so we hope all of you will stick with us through this and um, find out what is happening and how you can help with this process. So welcome, Cora. We're glad you're on SoundPrints. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to uh, be on here today and to talk a little bit about the merger. Cora, we've been, we've been doing merger talk for over a year, and there, it's gone through a number of different phases, and so now um, it's at the, the point where the public hearings are scheduled, and uh, if all goes as 
it appears that it will go, then the um, two agencies will merge on October 1. Um, in that process, there have been a number of things that have needed to be worked out, and I'm sure no one knows any better than you do of, of all the details. I just can't imagine how you all can have you know, these. It, to me, it's like, okay, let's sit down and talk about it, and we can figure this out in a week or two. And the state just doesn't work that way. So. No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Yes. <laughs> and there and there be all kinds of, there are going to be a number of changes. There's going to be changes in this state wherever you have counsel. Um, and in also how the, uh, the offices, you know, function a little bit um, in that there will be a couple of things that will be a positive for the agency. So let's just start and work through the proposal, and then maybe we can chat about a couple of things that that I think people have questions about. Sure. Um, you want me to start? Yeah, you just begin, and um, you can choose what order you want to take it, and, and, and we'll go from there. Well, first, uh, I just want to reaffirm what you said, that we've had meetings off and on for over a year, and we have had the input of all of the advocacy organizations and members from the State Rehab Council throughout the process. And, you know, it, it certainly, as I said to our State Rehab Council a couple weeks ago, we know the preferred option would be to stay a separate agency. But given the budget cuts over the last 10 years and the loss of resources and increases in cost, um, we want to do what's best for the office so that we can continue to provide specialized services to individuals that are blind and visually impaired. And that has been a focus during the last year and a half in all of our meetings and something that all of us have been committed to, not only Office for the Blind staff, the advocacy organizations, but also on a higher level with the cabinet staff. And so the, the new structure, even though we will be a combined agency, there is still um, a division of blind services. The, the staff will still stay um, committed and be delivering specialized services to the blind and, and visually impaired. And so. Um, We've had to make some, you know, changes in the st structure of things, but we feel like this will strengthen the services and allow us to have more resources and eventually, you know, our ultimate goal is to open up those categories that are closed under order of selection. So there will be one office with one executive director that oversees both the Office of Oak Rehab and Office for the Blind Combined Services. And under that um, director's office, there will be a branch that's dedicated to and responsible for program policies, um, making sure the programs are and, and policies and support systems are in place for the staff that are in the field. And there will be in that um, support branch, there will be some Office for the Blind staff that will be representing um, blind services and assuring that the, all the policies and procedures and support systems address that. 
And then under the executive director's office will be four divisions. There'll be the division of field services, and that um, division will house all the staff in the field that are in the regional and local career centers that provide assessment and counseling to individuals. And one of the things that we have done to strengthen the uh, specialized services to the blind and visually impaired is to add another uh, section. Currently we have two sections, uh, the western part and the eastern part of the state, and we are going to add a third um, blind services section so that it strengthens those um, services and will add a new blind services manager um, that will oversee the Louisville and Covington region. Um, and staff that already report to will continue to report to um, those blind services managers. And that will ensure that, that the managers um, that oversee them have the specialized knowledge, then they'll continue to supervise the counselors that provide the specialized services to the blind and visually impaired. So with this creation of the third um, division, or I shouldn't use the word division because we're talking about divisions of services, but with the third geographical region, I guess I should say, within the state, um, would, would that help to bring services closer to the consumers in those areas? Because you would have, in, in Louisville and, and Covington, you basically would have a person overseeing those services instead of um, overseeing other, uh, the other counties in the western and eastern part of the state. Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And that will give them more individualized yeah. support. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the manager will have more time to spend with, um, you know, looking at cases and data and identifying service trends. And so it's, I think it's a win-win um, for the staff and also for the consumers. And, and also in, then it would follow that in the western and, and eastern Kentucky regions, that they also would benefit from that new third uh, regional uh, area because then the supervisors in their areas would not uh, would have more time to spend with their clients rather than trying to also serve whatever the portion of Louisville or Lex uh, Louisville or Covington is um, that's currently you know in those regions. That's correct. Okay, all right. So that that would seem to be a positive. Yes, I'm, I'm excited about that mm -hmm. because right now the two um, blind services managers cover very large geographical uh, regions and are traveling a lot. So um, this will certainly be a move in a p positive um, manner for everybody that's concerned. But now those managers in the western, the eastern, and the Louisville slash Covington areas, those are only managers over blind counselors? Correct. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. All right. And then um, also in field services will be the Community Rehabilitation Supported Employment Branch that works with the community um, 
rehab rehabilitation providers, of which um, the way that OFB is structured now, we don't have a section that's dedicated to that. So that'll be something that our counselors will have access to that expertise that they did not have before. Okay. Um, and then also in field services, we'll sit the assistive technology branch, and that branch will um, provide assistive technology services to, to individuals. And our three um, Office for the Blind field services, assistive technology staff will be housed in that branch and be supervised by a rehabilitation engineer, and they will continue to provide specialized assistive technology services to the blind and visually impaired. Now, this was an area that the the steering committee, um, which we organized, um, oh, I guess probably a year ago, um, we had questions about that, and initially we we wanted to see a separate division for or a separate branch for technology under the Division of Services for the Blind. Um, but in discussing this, um, we spent quite a bit of time on this. And um, you and Becky Cabe from Office of Voc Rehab and, um, and Beth Kuhn, who, who was the Commissioner of the Workforce Development Cabinet, you all did quite a bit of, of, of talking about that and coming back to us with information. Um, the uh, the technology people at this time the three um, tech people in, that serve the state for the office for the blind they are currently supervised by those two regional managers right yes okay yes yes and so if um, if we're talking in new terms it would be by the three managers um, but but we have to we have to one of the things that we had to to work through was that those managers the, the people who are currently over the western and eastern parts of the state their their focus and their training is not in technology um, they're 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 over the counselors basically in in consumer terms am i am i right there um, yes, oh, their, okay. their focus is more on the employment side, the okay. vocational yeah. side. Don't don't let me don't let me go off in the wrong direction here. Um, but under the new under the new um, structure, those three people who currently are tech um, providing technology services um, under Office for the Blind would be supervised by the um, tech the person who supervises the technology for Voc Rehab, but that person is is very much, um, uh, their focus is technology, I guess. Yes, is is they, that a good way to, to yes, explain it? They actually are a rehabilitation engineer, so they have a very specialized expertise in technology, and we mm -hmm. certainly recognize how important this this is um, mm -hmm. um, to the individuals that we serve, and um, so we want to make sure that you know they maintain those specialized skills. And I think that the individual that oversees that branch is also on the Kentucky Assistive Technology Board, and uh, several, uh, a couple of members on our steering committee were very complimentary of 
her skills as yeah. well. So yeah. I think this will give those staff um, support um, in areas that they have not had um, mm -hmm. up yeah. to this point in their careers. And one of the things that was con that was confusing to us in the beginning is we were thinking that the tech people at the McDowell Center were affected by this move, and that 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 did not seem to be the case. No, they will remain at the, the McDowell at Center. At the McDowell Center. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's tech people in the technology branch, but then there still remain the tech people that are at the McDowell Center. They remain under the McDowell Center that we're going to get to in a little bit under the Division of Blind Services. Okay. You're correct. Okay. And then in field service, we're also establishing an employer services branch that, w that um, is new that will house some job placement staff and that will also allow our counselors to to have some access to job placement assistance which they have not had oh. um, and those individuals will be cross-trained we plan on um, providing cross-training with them and having them participate in some training at the McDowell Center so that they are equipped um, with the skills and knowledge that they need to provide some placement support. Cora, I'm going to tell you, that is a huge positive. If people may not realize, but counselors do not have time. They have too many cases to be out doing job placement. And over the years, I, I don't think I can remember a time when, myself included, I didn't see why in the world they said, well, the counselors aren't doing anything to help me find a job. Well, the counselor I discovered many years ago when I spent um, a, a couple of years being a rehab counselor, the counselor doesn't have time to do job placement. Um, you might get a few placements just because you're lucky and they fall in your lap, but you just don't have time because you've got a whole cabinet full of people that need services and the information that needs to be filled out and the reports that have to be done and the meetings that have to be held. And I mean, the counselor truly does not have the time to do job placement. And uh, and I'm sure that that is also true for the voc rehab counselors. If, there's a, if there is a separate um, entity helping within the agency to do job placement so they don't have to go out and just you know, contract with anybody and everybody who's kind of a warm, breathing body that says, I can do placement, that has to be a positive. Yes, it is a very much a positive. And we're excited about that. And in the meetings that I've had with staff across the state, the counselors have been very um, excited about the, the possibility <laughs> that they'll have some support in this area. That is huge. So... Uh, all right, so the Employment Services Branch, that's that's a new branch. And, and then in, also in field services, there'll mm -hmm. be um, the um, pre-employment transition services, transition mm -hmm. services okay. that will, uh, you know, will sit in the field services mm -hmm. and their, the current deaf and hard of hearing services branch for voc mm -hmm. rehab is in field services. Okay, so Does that's... That, that's Go a busy ahead. branch. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a big. Um, the second division is the division of the Carl D. Perkins Vocational Training Center in Selma, which is uh, Office of Oak Rehab's current training center. 
-hmm. And then the third division will be the division of Kentucky Business in Enterprises. Mm -hmm. um, the, it will um, be a division in, of its own in the new structure mm -hmm. the, for the blind vendor program. Mm -hmm. And then there will be the division of blind services. And this division will contain branches and positions which administer blind, low vision specific functions and programs, as well as provide consultative services for all of blind services. And that's where the McDowell Center um, will we'll be under blind services. And the structure of the McDowell Center does not change. And independent living, older blind, will be in the blind services mm -hmm. division. And then all the specialized services of orientation and mobility, deaf blind, bioptic driving, will also be uh, housed in the division of blind services. That's a, a, a pretty good look at what this will will look like. Now, a lot of times people say, well, why, why do we have to do this? Because if we're keeping all of these things, why do we have to do this? And the reason, the answer to that is um, money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and share, you know, to share those resources. So, mm -hmm. you know, where currently we have um, two different people that do a state plan, we'll only need one and that will do one state plan. And both of us have um, staff that work with the council. We won't need um, to have two separate. And you know, those backdoor operations that happen can be shared where we can have cost savings for that and to have that will free up money that we can use for services. And, and like I said, you know, to eventually we want to be able to open up those categories that are closed. And for those people that aren't aware or maybe uh, have have forgotten, it's been some time since we discussed the order of selection. Um, currently, the Office for the Blind is only able to serve those people who fit into Category 1. And Category 1 is those individuals with the most severe disabilities and who need the most services. So there's a lot of people out there in categories two and three, especially that are on waiting lists and unable to obtain services under the current structure, and the the um, uh, under the new structure, uh, someone asked on a, on a telephone call I was on the other night. Well, what does this mean for me if I need something? And we said, well, it means that you probably would. It, it'd probably be easier for you to obtain services. It won't be any worse than it is now. No, um, but it probably would be easier because that person is a person who probably, who in all likelihood could, would not be a Category 1 mm -hmm. uh, consumer. So, yeah, we anticipate um, over the next year and year and a half that my hope is that we would begin to serve, first we would serve individuals on the waiting list and then we would we would look at whether you know, we have the financial stability to open up the other categories. Mm -hmm. The other area that there are a lot of people on the waiting list is that independent living, older blind American yes. branch, and uh, they're currently really backed up. Is that? That's, yeah. Yes, uh, they have around 150 individuals on a, a waiting list. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, there's just there's a very small pool of, of funding uh, for the older blind program and for independent living for individuals under the age of 55. And it's my understanding that there has been some advocacy efforts on a federal level to yes. increase that funding, and I, I hope that that continues and there is that focus for increase in that funding because we all know that that population is growing and will continue to grow with all the advanced um, advancements we have in medicine. People are living longer and so um, that certainly is an area that I think the federal government needs to look at. So, right. Right. And that program, um, we recognize the importance of it. Very and it much. will continue to serve only individuals that are blind and visually impaired. Mm -hmm. And and we need to realize. So uh, sometimes people say, well, other people say, well, how does this affect me? You know, I maybe maybe that person already has a job. Maybe that person doesn't anticipate moving into another job. But you know, maybe at some point in their lives, they might need a microwave marked, That's or they right. might need a washer marked. You know, For or whatever. Sure. And and that is what this independent living program does is, um, you know, it, it helps mark things and it helps, um, you know, do the kinds of things that people need on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, a person who's losing their vision, they make that visit and help them to begin getting acclimated to doing, uh, doing things without as much vision. And while they can't make home visit after home visit after home visit, we are talking about um, a, a service where people, you know, travel to that person's home, and so that that just takes more time, and more effort, and more resources than um, if the person is coming into the office. Yes, it does. Corey, what is going to happen with the statewide rehabilitation council? We've we've had a number of questions about that, and uh, and I think people are. Um, are interested to know how we will have a voice from the consumer side in the future. Well, what will happen is um, both the Office for the Blind and Office of Oak Rehab Councils will be abolished and then a new one will be established. That will be a combination of, um, you know, it will actually have the same requirements as both councils have always had the same requirements. In speaking to the Rehabilitation Services Administration, our federal liaison, the recommendation was made that we form a blind services committee to be a part of the newly established council um, so that you have a committee that's dedicated to all the issues that surround um, individuals who are blind and visually impaired. And so um, we are currently in the process of, of speaking with legal and m making sure that we follow the correct process and um, for establishing the new council and then for you know individuals to be able to um, apply to be a member of the council just as before. We do anticipate that the consumer organizations will have representation. Yes, mm -hmm. okay. they will. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I'm assuming that we will be able to um, oh, that that you'll you all will let us know when we need to submit yes our nominees. 
We certainly will. Okay. As soon as we get a couple points clarified, then we'll be able to do that. You'll be asking us for those names, right? <laughs> yes, we will. And the app, you have to fill out the application and submit a resume, the same as before. Okay. So it'll be just completely starting over in that regard. And, and that, that could be good because then that puts everybody on the same playing field. Yes, it does. Let's talk about, um, just go over the, the public hearings. They're going to be in a number of locations around the state, and we certainly hope that um, people will make an effort to come to the public hearing and to participate and listen to the information that's presented and share their thoughts. So um, I'll just let you run down the public hearings. I'm um, sure the first one will be in Elizabethtown on May 21st, and it will be, it'll, <clears throat> excuse me, it'll be held at the Career Center, and we should be sending out the notices. Um, we had a few things about the um, some of the policies that we want to have a, ready for on the website and available prior to the hearings that we need to finish up, and they should be posted next week. And um, so the full schedule should be coming out, and we'll send it out on all the listservs. But okay. Elizabethtown will be from on uh, the 21st of May, and it will be at the Career Center in Elizabethtown. Mm -hmm. There will be a um, public hearing on the 22nd in Thelma at the Carl D. Perkins Vocational Technical Center. There will be one in Owensboro on the 29th of May, Paducah the 30th, and Bowling Green the 31st. There will be one held in Louisville on June 5th, and it will have two sessions, a morning session from 10 to 12 and an evening session from 5 to 7. There will be one held in Lexington the 6th, and same there, two sessions, one from 10 to 12 and one from 5 to 7. Um, then in Covington, we'll go there the next day on the 7th from in the evening as well. Um, and then Hazard on June 13th. And we'll be the last one is in Ashland on June 14th. Okay. All right. And that information specific times and so on will be coming out soon. And um, we will be including those times as we have them in our calendar um, at the end of Sound Prints each week. We have a calendar for the oh, next month or so. And uh, we'll incorporate those times into that calendar as well, we get them. Good. We appreciate that. Yep. Well, Cora, we really appreciate the time that you've taken to be with us today. I uh, would encourage people to please feel free to ask questions. Um, if you would like to discuss um, this with any of us here at KCB, you can give us a phone call at 502-895-4598. Uh, Cora, can they contact OFB if they have some questions? Sure. They can call us at 502-564-4754. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we, we look forward to continuing down this road to trying to solve some of the problems with services for blind people in Kentucky. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Page 3. 
This article was posted on ACB Leadership by Kelly Gask from the Virginia office on Wednesday, April 18. It's entitled Blind Ambition. Former Billings TV reporter integrates blind actress into tonight's NCIS episode. Kelly's note says, ACB is pleased to have consulted on the development of the character Annie, a blind attorney, played by actress Marilee Talkington, for this episode of NCIS. Here's the article. Los Angeles, California. Three months ago, while in the infant stages of creating his latest NCIS episode, writer Brendan Faley, F-E-H-I-L-Y, decided to take a chance. Quote, The plot of this 350th episode is, We have a witness to a crime, and that witness happens to be blind, he said during an interview on location in California. Faley, who launched his career in Billings 17 years ago as a television news reporter, wanted to deliver a twist that NCIS never had. Quote, now you may ask yourself, pondered actor Wilmer Valderrama, who plays special agent Nick Torres, how a blind individual can be a key witness to one of our cases. Well, our actress officially becomes an ear witness, Faley told Q2 News during a recent interview on the set of the show. Sight Unseen airs tonight at 7 p.m. on Q2 and in prime time on CBS stations around the country. Faley started writing this episode three months ago. Then last month, the cast and crew spent 10 days shooting it. Faley was also eager to increase the credibility of his blind witness. Quote, One of the ideas we had early on was, wouldn't this be really interesting if we could cast a real blind person to play a blind character, Faley recalled. After sifting through candidates, NCIS flew actress Marilee Talkington, who is legally blind, in from New York City to audition. Faley said she nailed it. Not to be overlooked, though, was Talkington's challenge of moving through sets without bumping into boom microphones, tables, or other props. So, here's what she did. I wrote up a cheat sheet of about 20 different things that were just all the facts about my vision and how it might apply to set, she said between takes near the crime scene. I prefer dark over lights. I might need a guide in certain areas. If you give me direction and there are lights up, I'm going to listen to you rather than look at you. Faley says he spent countless hours of research to add credibility to Marilee's character. One of his most valuable resources turned out to be a YouTube channel created by the blind. He also talked to members of American Council of the Blind and contacted American Foundation for the Blind. And his homework paid off. Quote, I get the best compliment ever when I met her for the first time, Faley recalled. She sat me down and said, Who are your blind friends? I know you must have a blind friend. And I said, I don't. And she said, Well, you've really nailed this character. Talkington has a similar memory of their first encounter. I think the first thing I said to Brendan was, You have blind friends, she said. He really shaped the character in a way that it's a person that I would know. 
In this episode, the crime witnessed by Annie Barth, Talkington, involves a sheriff's patrol car plunging into a lake. Our agents initially discount her because there are other sighted witnesses to the crime, Faley said. She makes me understand, in her most clever way, how she came about this, said Valderrama, whose Taurus character eventually works closely with Barth. And in that process, Taurus not only humbles himself, but learns to appreciate the unique skill. We realize that what she heard is actually a little more important than what other witnesses saw, Faley revealed. Then, a specific scene arrives that validates both Faley's homework and Talkington's ex expertise. There's a moment there where I need to ask for help, which is completely legitimate, she said. It's by necessity, and he, Taurus, has to help me, but he has to learn how to help me. So, we have this wonderful interaction of teaching, an educational moment. Then we get to why we're there. Talkington admits she was thrilled to be cast into the role. You just don't see these characters on TV, and you certainly don't see them being played by actually blind, low-vision actors, she said. However, as a fan of the show, Talkington confessed this first appearance on NCIS felt a little more daunting. In particular, her first encounter with lead actor Mark Harmon, who plays Special Agent Leroy Jethro Gibbs. The first time I met Mark Harmon, I actually got tongue-tied, very tongue-tied, she said, slightly blushing, and he was so generous and just hugged me and said he was so glad I was here. After that, I was feeling like I was part of a family already, even though I was only going to be here for a few days. NCIS wraps up its 15th consecutive season on CBS next month and has already been renewed for another year. The following article first appeared in the Kansas City Star on April 20 and was updated on April 23. It's entitled, It Began With Low Rates, But Uber-Style Service for Disabled Riders Became Too Popular by Bill Turk. For Mary Carter and about 8,000 disabled passengers who relied on the notoriously unreliable ride-sharing system run by the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority, the agency's launch of an Uber-style on-demand service last year was great news. It promised an alternative to traditional paratransit, which requires riders to call a day in advance to schedule trips. It promised an end to being stranded or bounced for an hour while other passengers were dropped off. It promised mobility. People want to connect with their communities, said Carter, a social worker in her 40s who uses a wheelchair because of cerebral palsy. They want to go out and experience the same thing as the average person. But the new app-based service, Ride KC Freedom On Demand, has wobbled in its first year in some respects a victim of its own success. KCATA officials said they planned for about 2,600 passenger trips a month. Instead, the agency was overwhelmed by the response to what was supposed to be a pilot program. The monthly average has been close to 7,000. The transit agency said the popularity has been a budget buster. 
Last month, it hiked the fares. Ride KC Freedom On Demand is pricier than the traditional ride share. Ride KC Freedom, formerly known as Share Affair, which is $3 each way. But Carter, who lives with her cat in a small apartment near Kaufman Stadium, was willing to pay more for her 10-mile commute downtown. The original fare for the on-demand service was set at $3 for the first 8 miles, with $2 for each additional mile. But last month, KCATA hiked the rates to $5 for the first 5 miles and $2 per mile after that. It meant that Carter's $14 round trip ballooned to $30. Visits to the doctor are even more. She still uses on-demand for work, but the price has restricted her ability to run errands and see family. They did so well trying to create this new service to help people, she said. Then they started to take it away. The rate hike was a nasty surprise to Merle Long, 64 and blind, since a 1987 accident. His nine-mile ride from South Kansas City to 75th and Prospect and back went from $10 to $26. What about folks on fixed incomes, asked Long, who has gone back to the traditional ride share. The increase sparked anger in the disabled community. Sheila Styron, a blindness and low vision specialist at The Whole Person, a midtown organization that connects the disabled with resources and helps them to live more independently, said Ride KC Freedom on Demand was a bright spot on an otherwise dismal record. The fare hike is especially frustrating, she added, after they've had a taste of reasonable, reliable transportation. KCATA officials say KC Freedom on Demand is a work in progress and that they are attempting to find the right price point. We're trying to find that middle ground between budget and service, said agency president and CEO Robbie McKinnon. He's blunt-spoken and passionate about the fledgling system, in no small part because it's personal. A former chief of intergovernmental affairs and economic development for then Jackson County Executive Mike Sanders, McKinnon, 54, lost his sight five years ago when the flow of blood to his optic nerve cut off, a condition known as ischemic optic neuropathy. Forced to use what was then known as share affair, McKinnon was appalled by the level of service. When he became agency chief in 2015, one of his answers was Ride KC Freedom on Demand, and he said he didn't want to wait. I didn't want to hire a bunch of consultants. I was going to put it on the street and see if it works, said McKinnon, whose talks about diversibility instead of disability. KCATA officials openly acknowledge that the traditional rideshare service mandated by the Americans with Disabilities Act is barely adequate. It gets a D grade, the lowest passing grade, Agency Vice President Jameson Outen said recently at a community meeting held at the whole person. Paratransit is expensive. KCATA must provide service for all eligible passengers who live within three-quarters of a mile of a regular bus route and can charge no more than twice the standard bus fare. It represents about 2% of KCATA's total trips, but claims 18% of its 
$96 million annual operating budget. A trip on Ride KC Freedom on Demand costs the agency about 40% less because it is partnering with a private contractor instead of using its own dedicated fleet and drivers. But best intentions have been complicated by several factors. Hoped-for federal funding never came through. Agency officials anticipated that its on-demand customers would come from traditional rideshare, lowering that service's operating costs. They were planning to market on-demand to the general public, which would pay more. 5% of that fare would go to funding paratransit. Instead, the lure of Uber-style service at less than Uber prices, KCATA analysis says that it shows it is cheaper than Uber up to the 12-mile price point, kindled a latent demand. Instead of a crossover, the service was getting new disabled passengers who'd either given up on KCATA or were otherwise not inclined to use paratransit. Marketing to general public hasn't started yet. Even though the cost per trip is much lower, the demand takes your budget out of whack, Alton said. Still, officials consider Ride KC Freedom on Demand the future of 21st century paratransit. The proportion of Americans 65 or older in the U.S. will increase from 15% to 20% by 2030. Many of them will be unable to use regular public transportation. Boston and other cities are piloting on-demand paratransit in partnership with Uber and Lyft. McKinnon proudly points to other improvements on his watch, including free regular bus service for veterans. He and Alton said they plan to hold stakeholder meetings as part of working out the cost issues. When they do, they're likely to hear from Deborah Marino, 65, a blind South Kansas resident who lives eight miles from her job at Alpha Point, a company that provides employment and educational opportunities for the blind and visually impaired. Marino's monthly transportation costs have gone from $96 to $224. She said she will show them her receipts. I want to prove to them what they're doing wrong to us, she said. Page 4. The Sound Prince Calendar On May 8, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its meeting in Owensboro, 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. This will be a social with games, cake and cookies, and beverages. They'll discuss a garage sale, have a social committee meeting. It's all at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information about Savvy or the meeting, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. Also on May 8 will be Founders Day at the Kentucky School for the Blind. From noon to 2 p.m. in the Ritchie Auditorium. For more information, call the school at 502-897-1583. On May 9, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its monthly meeting at 7 p.m. by conference call. Call 605 Four seven five forty seven hundred and enter code one five five six one nine. For more information about NKCB, call Jerry Slusher at eight five nine seven eight one seven three six nine.
On May 9, the KCB PR Membership Committee meets at 8 p.m. by conference call at 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On May 10, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold an in-person support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On May 11, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its next roundabout, including education and technology with iPhone support, orbit reader, training, and more from 3.30 to 5 p.m., a discussion time and tip sheet from 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, $5 per person, bingo begins at 7 o'clock, $2 per person, and there will also be games and crafts, all at the United Crescent Hill Ministries until 10 p.m. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On May 12, the Greater Louisville Council holds its board meeting at 11 a.m. by conference call at 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On May 13, KCB Next Generation will have a meeting by conference call at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This is their regular monthly meeting for visually impaired people age 40 and under. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. May 18, there will be no GLCB roundabout, but the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will hold their annual Doggy Eye Exam activity from 2.30 to 5.30 p.m. at 107 Finley Avenue. For more information about this event, contact Deb Lewis, GDUKI President, at 502-721-9129. On May 19, the forest in your front yard is from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. A guest naturalist, Rosemary Bowman, will help us explore the trees and shrubs of APH's front lawn with all our senses to help us understand their changes through all four seasons and to recognize the animals and insects that live in their bark and branches. For more information, call the APH Museum at 502-899-2213. This is great for adults and children of all ages and is a free event. On May 20, the KSB alumni will hold its next board meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call. The phone number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. On May 21 will be the first of several hearings concerning the merger of the Kentucky Office for the Blind and the Kentucky Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. This first hearing will be in Elizabethtown. For more information on time and location, call the Kentucky Office for the Blind at 502-564-4754. Also on May 21, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its monthly board meeting at 7.30 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On May 22, there will be a public hearing in Thelma, Kentucky, Concerning the merger of the Office for the Blind and Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. Again, 
For time and location information, call 502-564-4754. May 23, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold its monthly peer support group meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council Office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. RSVP and get more information by calling 859-259-1834. May 24, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its next support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. May 25 is the next GLCB Roundabout. Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5. Tip Sheet 5 to 5.30. Page Turners and a meeting of the Tri-State Library users from 5.30 to 6. Dinner 6 to 7. A KCB Next Generation activity and games and crafts from 7 until 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 for more information. May 26 is a trip to the Louisville Bats baseball game, sponsored by KCB Next Generation. For more details, contact Amanda Selm at 502-750-1774. On May 28, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will have a membership call at 7 p.m. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. May 29 will be a public hearing concerning the merger of the Office for the Blind and Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. This hearing will take place in Owensboro. There will be a public hearing also in Paducah on May 30. For more information on both hearings, contact 502-564-4754. Also on May 30, the Kentucky School for the Blind will have its 2018 graduation at 6.30 p.m. in the Ritchie Auditorium at the Kentucky School for the Blind, 1867 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. For more information, call the school at 502-897-1583. On May 31 is a public hearing in Bowling Green concerning the merger of the Office for the Blind and Voc Rehab. For more information, call 502-564-4754. Looking ahead to June. Public hearings concerning the merger of the Office for the Blind and Vocational Rehabilitation will take place as follows. On June 5th, from 10 a.m. to noon and from 5 to 7 p.m. at the McDowell Center in Louisville. On June 6th, from 10 a.m. to noon and 5 to 7 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council Office in Lexington. On June 7, in Covington, June 13, in Hazard, and June 14, in Ashland. For more information about the hearings, contact the Office for the Blind at 502-564-4754. And June 29 to July 7 is the 57th Annual Convention of the American Council of the Blind, coming up in St. Louis, Missouri at the Union Station Hotel. For more information, visit www.acb.org and listen to future sound prints. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 
or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.